Hi. Okay, my wife is excited. Hi, hi college students, hi young adults, hi awesome people, everybody else in between. You know, it feels, Heidi was right, it feels a little quiet in here today, doesn't it? It's perfect. It's perfect, that's what he says, it's perfect, it's quiet. I like quiet, um, but I also like noisy sometimes. I, you know, I like that mix. I'm one of those weirds, I'm like, I'm like a contemplative spiritual person, I like to like silence, like most of my days I like silence, and then I like a rowdy Pentecostal worship service, yeah. you know, I just, anybody else that way? Anybody? Yeah. Like five, six, seven people? Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of an unusual thing. That's okay. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, I'll introduce myself. I haven't yet. I'm Jamie. I'm uh, one of the two pastors here. Heidi and I co-pastor together. And uh, so right now, I'm one of the worship leaders and one of the speakers. And I planned this sermon series uh, on vision and on just, it's called Wrecked, Wrecked for Anything Less. Wrecked in a good way comes out of a story of our family going on a mission trip this summer, and this woman coming up to us while we were getting ready to go, and she just says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying God just wrecks your family. And we're like, what? You know, what does that mean? Like, going to get a divorce or something? And she's like, I don't know. I mean, in a good way. Wrecked in a good way. Like, wrecked for anything less than everything God has for you. And that's what this sermon series is really about, is being experiencing God and experiencing a life in Jesus that wrecks you for, for the normal. It wrecks you for this, the day-to-day, the mundane life that we all live. And really, it's about a shift in perspective, and it's also a shift in our answer, where we say no to many things. It's where we listen to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And really, hopefully, I mean, this is kind of the goal. In our journey as believers, we want to get to this place someday I, and I would be honest with you, I'm not there yet myself. To get someday to this place where you say, okay, my answer to you, God, is yes, no matter what, and before you even ask. Before you even say, hey, I got something for you to do, or I've got somebody I want you to talk to, or I want you to share your story with this person, or I want you to follow me in this way, or move to this place, or go to this place in this country, or whatever it happens to be, we just say, yes, Lord, I'm going to go. I'm going to do, I'm going to say, I'm going to speak, I'm going to love, I'm going to change, I'm going to transform, whatever it is that you ask of me, before you ask it, Lord, yes. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to say that I'm somewhere about, well, let's go to 1 to 100. It just feels more accurate, right? Actually, it's not any more accurate. 1 to 10, 1 to 100. Um, You know, I'm probably at a 7 or a 70, depending on which scale you're looking at. I feel like in my life, that's probably even being generous. Like 70% of the time, I'm like, yes, Lord. The other 30, 30? mathing, the other 30%, and it's like, no, really, Jamie, you said you wanted to say yes. So this is about saying yes to God, and we've talked about it in a lot of different areas. We've talked about saying yes to slow down to be with Jesus, and that was something that we even talked about as a worship team this morning, like before, before, before a service, we were struggling through our worship music, we were just wrestling, and it's like, oh, this is hard, what is going on? And we just, I just stopped, and we're like, hey, you know what? Here's the reality for all of us, for the worship team, me as a pastor, like, just use me as a pastor, for example. I could write a fabulous sermon. I could, like, bring the house down, exegeting a passage, which means interpreting it, and bringing it to our day and age. It'll be biblical. It'll be relevant. It'll be interesting. It'll be memorable. And I could do all of that and not have met with Jesus at all. 
And the worship team, we can be up here and we can bring down the house with the greatest worship set ever. We could throw in lights and pyrotechnics if we wanted to. All the things that we could do and make an awesome arena worship experience. And we can do all that and never have met with Jesus. And that's why Jesus invites us to slow down and to meet with him. Because at the end of all things, we're going to come before him. And Jesus said this himself. He says, many of you are going to come to me and you're going to say, Jesus, look at all the cool things we did for you. Look at all the great sermons we spoke. All the times I taught Sunday school. All the times I was an usher or a greeter. All the times I gave my tithes and offerings. All the time I led worship or preached a great sermon. And Jesus is going to look at you and go, I didn't even know you. So we've got to slow down. Slow down to be with Jesus. That's the first thing that he invites us into. Last week we talked about slowing down so that we can learn to be honest with each other. Our yes to Jesus is a yes to honesty, a yes to being honest with who we are on the inside as well as the outside, having integrity, right, where the inside and the outside match up, not just our, what we say and what we do, but who we are inside and who we are on the outside lines up, getting deep beneath the surface. And today we're going to talk about giving our yes to Jesus, and this is a great way to say yes to being free, the yes to freedom. We're going to give Jesus our yes to being free. And that means that we do have to go beneath the surface again. We have to go deep beneath the surface of our lives to begin to see where we're not free. Have any of you guys have ever been to prison? Oh, you don't have to raise your hands. I don't want to call it. How many, let me rephrase it. How many of you have ever been through the doors of a prison, whether you were like in chains or not in chains? Come on, there we go. That's better. Yeah. My dad growing up was a prison guard. I don't know if I've ever shared that with you. My dad was a prison guard in the Alaska State Prison System. And I remember when I was in middle school, I joined the school newspaper. Why? I don't know. And we had to write a story. And I came up with this idea, I'm going to write a story on one of the prisoners that my dad works with. Because that, of course, is going to be very interesting to every 7th and 8th grader in Alaska. You know, it's like, this is perfect newspaper material. <laughs> Seventh graders, they're worried about, like, they really like the cartoons. This one kid wrote a cartoon about a turkey that would just walk around and explode. That was, we're all buying the newspaper for the exploding turkey. And I'm like, well, you got to read my article. So I went and I visited uh, this prison with my dad. I got to go to his, see his, his office and where he worked. And what I really remember was walking through the front door. And let's see, I, th I think we even have a picture of the prison. Nope, that's not it. Is it, is it the next one? There it is. <laughs> That, that was, that's the next picture. I must have put them in backwards. So this is the prison, and it's, it's in Alaska. And I remember we come in around the loop and go to the parking lot, and you come in through the front doors, and it looks, this is the front door, and uh, the, the door closes, and there's this clang, clunk, and then there's another door that you have to, and it slides open, and you walk through that one, and it goes clang, and you're inside all of a sudden. And you feel like, I can't get out fast enough. I, I'm, I'm stuck in here. And you look up, and what you see is a bunch of men in orange suits. Not like suits, but, you know, pants suits. And they're walking around, and they're happy as could be. And, and I'm inside, and I'm scared to death all of a sudden. <laughs> I got my dad standing here with me, but I am just inside terrified because I know I can't get out. And now I'm inside with all of these people who have clearly done something to be inside, right? And that's what they call it. They call it inside. You ever experienced that feeling of just being trapped? being stuck inside. A few years later, um, Heidi and I got to go visit in, oh, so more than a few years later, because that was middle school, and this was, we were married. 
We were married at 15. Um, more than a few years later, we went to San Francisco and we got to visit Alcatraz, which is that other picture. So I had in my mind that image, that, that clanging doors. But you go to this place, and this is a whole nother level. So that was a minimum security prison that my dad worked at. So in the minimum security prison, like, they got couches and they got televisions. There's a huge native Alaska population, and the native Alaskans actually feed their own. So they wind up with, like, salmon and lobster and stuff like that. It was kind of, for a while, it was a little touchy. But so they got, like, they had this really nice life inside this prison. They're not, they're not sad. They're not broke. Like, I don't know how to say this, but they're, they're not, many of them are not unhappy to be there. But here is another story. We come in, to get here, you have to take a boat. Okay, that alone, I never want to go to prison at Alcatraz, just because you have to take a boat to get there. Just imagine, you start your prison term seasick, and then you get drugged in chains up these stairs, and then you go into this place, these cell blocks, and it was, nobody could escape. In fact, only three people ever even attempted, and we're not sure. We think they all died, but one may have survived, because they have to swim across the San Francisco Bay through sharks, through heavy currents, and freezing cold water in order to get to freedom again. This vast gulf. Now that's depressing. Metal and brick, violence, no hope of escape. This is where the passage that we're going to read this morning begins. But I want to tell you that it's not where it ends. But it does begin with the jail doors closing, clank, and the guards standing outside, and nobody is going to escape. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 5. Verses 17 through 21. So if you want to open your Bibles there while I pray, we'll get started. So Jesus, I pray this morning that many of us can identify with this feeling of the doors being closed and being locked and isolated inside of a cell in one way or another. And I pray this morning that you would set us free, that we would give you our yes, and our yes would be a yes to your freedom. Jesus, work in us this morning. We, we just come longing for a word from you, a, a divine word from your spirit, not just from your word, but that you would speak to our hearts and minds. God, I pray this morning that the sermon that each person here needs to hear would be heard, whether it's my sermon or not, <laughs> whether it's my words or not, you would speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, 21. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him. That's this party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, and they began to teach. How many of you guys know that we have an enemy in this world. Christians specifically have an enemy. Anybody know this? There is an evil force that does exist just as real as God is real. There is an evil that is real. And that evil has methods and ways and means of taking God's people and imprisoning them. Now, who are God's people? Everybody. Everybody belongs to God. It's about whether we give our life to Him or not, though, that sets us apart and makes us different. So the enemy is out to steal, he's out to kill, he is out to destroy, he is out to imprison, and that is exactly where this starts. They arrested the apostles and they put them in a public prison. Now this isn't private. It's not some, you know, they didn't just snag them in the middle of the night and haul them off and hide them someplace. 
and then beat them and maybe kill them and bury them, and so they, they just disappear. This is very public. They wanted them to be embarrassed. They wanted the message that they were preaching to be imprisoned and de... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's... I lost my word. They wanted the message... What? Eh, not encapsulated. Anyway, they wanted to, to make it look bad. However, that's, however, whatever word that is I'm trying to say, they wanted to make it look bad. They wanted the apostles to look bad. Because if you go to jail, you're clearly not a good person, right? That's, that's the mentality here. They want this to be public. And it says in verse 21 that it was not just uh, this group. It was the high priest and all who are with him. They come to make these accusations as in, later in the chapter. The high priest and all who are with him. And it's this group of very powerful people who are coming against the apostles, who have been preaching and teaching and doing good things, right? Signs and wonders, they're healing people, the sick are being healed, the poor are being fed and taken care of, the whole church is coming together, they have a good report, nobody can say anything bad about them, but these guys are jealous. They're jealous. You know what jealousy is? So jealousy is an action that is born of fear and insecurity, fear of losing something, an insecurity in your position and place. It is this deep feeling that comes from inside your gut. Many of you know the feeling of jealousy, but you're not able to name it. That's what it is. I'm, I'm insecure. I'm losing my, my control. I'm losing my influence. I'm losing my power. And it comes from fear. And they're acting in fear against these men and their message. And they're trying to publicly shame them, publicly make them look bad. They're publicly rubbing dirt on the message and on the apostles. And it is not just one man, but it's one man and all the men with him, all of his friends. Because these guys have been basically breaking the law with impunity. This is the one thing that could be said about, about them because they were told in Acts chapter 2, don't ever preach in the name of Jesus. Just stop it. Just quit it. Just, just stop. You can, you can go to church. You can, you can go to school. You can go to work. You can do all the things that you want to do, but stop speaking this message about Jesus being crucified by us, buried by you, risen to new life in God. Stop preaching that message. Stop it. And they were running around and they were breaking this law with impunity. They were breaking this order. You guys know what that word impunity means? So in our neighborhood, we have a, a covenant, okay? A covenant in our neighborhood. You guys know what that is? It's, 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 it's a set of agreements that you make as a neighborhood. And in our neighborhood, in 1977, when it was built, they decided, okay, here's the covenant. If you're going to live in this neighborhood, you can't have any RVs in your front yard, and we don't want any fences out front, no fences dividing the front yards. They all got to be open, and, uh, and, and that's the way it's going to be. And if you live in this neighborhood, you sign up and you say, yes, I will do that. Since 1977, that, those covenants have been broken with impunity. That's what my father-in-law says. He's a real estate attorney. You will drive through our neighborhood, and there's people like, yeah, my RV, it's in the front of the house. Yeah, I built a fence. You know, we just put these things up. And when you break the law with impunity, the law no longer exists, apparently, in terms of covenants. So they were break, these guys were breaking this law with impunity, acting like it didn't exist, and just moving through the city, and they're preaching every day in the temple in the name of Jesus. They're healing in the name of Jesus. They're loving people in the name of Jesus. They're serving people in the name of Jesus. And it's just too much for these guys. They're like, it's like a black eye in the face of the religious leaders. And they put them in jail. They put them in jail. They're trying to take not just the men, but the message and imprison it. You can't imprison a message, right? You can't, you can't take a message and 
put it in a lockbox. If somebody knows that message, it's going to get out. So they have to take the men and they have to put fear into them. They have to take the women who are preaching this message and put fear into them. And they, they, they want to put a black eye on the church just as the black eye has come against them. High priests and all the friends with them. You ever felt like that? Like just in life, like everything is against you? Everything's against me. Everything seems to be coming against me. Like nothing is working out for me. I, I pray and I don't feel anything. I go to Bible study, I don't get anything. I go, I work hard and I don't get recognized. You know, bad things seem to happen to good people. Have you ever experienced that? Like, well, this person's just a fabulous person and yet they get cancer and they die. All these bad things come in and everything seems to be against me. And it would be easy for these men to feel that way, that everything is against them. We have accusations that come against us in our mind, not just against the message that we proclaim to, to know and to believe, but accusations like, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not clean enough for God to love me. I'm not lovable. I'm just one small voice. How could anybody believe anything in God if it's just me? And these voices, they come, and it's not just one, it's many, and they come and they have this accusation party in our hearts and in our minds. And it's enough to hold you in prison, pending trial, waiting to be proven guilty. You're waiting for somebody to prove to you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not lovable enough, you're not holy enough, and you just wait. And we're quiet. And we come with these black eyes, beaten by the world and by the things around us, locked in prisons that we can't get out of, and it is from evil. It is evil personified. It is the devil, it is Satan, who is coming to steal, kill, and destroy what God would give you freely. What God would give you freely. Many of us are living in, on the rock, and not the rock of Jesus, but the rock of Alcatraz. We're living in an isolated cell in the midst of an impenetrable fortress, and we don't know that we can ever get out. We're stuck with our fears, we're stuck with our regrets, we're stuck with our mistakes, and we can't break free of them. We can't, there's, like, there's the San Francisco Bay to swim across, and we could never get across on our own. We're stuck there. Sometimes it's very obvious. You know, we use the seven deadly sins to identify, like, avarice. That's the one I don't understand. But all the rest of them, you know, gluttony. I eat too much, and I'm just way overweight, and it's just destroying my life, and it's keeping me from loving other people well. Lust. I just see people as objects. We could go on and on. Seven deadly sins. It's very obvious that these are things that I've chosen, but sin and the things that imprison us are not just what we have chosen, but what has been done to us, Right? what has been done to us. There's been something done to us, something said to us. We received them as life messages. Sometimes there's stories that we're telling ourselves that keep us from moving forward, that keep us from saying yes. It's that thing that is stopping us from loving Jesus wholeheartedly and loving our neighbor really well. Sometimes we even choose them because they're more comfortable. Just like in the state of Alaska, they had this problem for a while. People were going to jail and then they would come out of jail, they'd be released from prison, and they would get out, and they'd find that they didn't have a home, they lived on the streets, and that things were hard, and it was cold, and they think to themselves, gosh, prison was warm. In prison, I had three square meals a day. In prison, I had status. In prison, I had a place. I knew who I was. And so they would go, and they would break the law again intentionally. They'd go and break the window of a store and stand in it, wait for the police to come arrest them so that they could go back to jail. 
many of us come to our prisons in the same way. It's comfortable there. I don't know how to live outside of this. I don't know how to live outside of this jail that I've been thrown in. So I go back and I keep living in this place. The result is that we have parts of us that are locked up. Parts of our insides, our body, our mind, our soul, our strength is tapped. We're unable to access parts of ourselves. We're unable to to consistently love other people well because we find that we keep hurting them over and over again. We're unable to connect with God because we've shut some part of us down. We're unable to love ourselves or to be honest with other people because everything is locked up in these prisons. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we choose it, and sometimes we don't even know. That is the craziest thing about this, that there are prisons in our life that we know nothing about, that we can't see, but we are still acting out of them. We're still acting and living in life with that place in our hearts locked up. It's called our shadow. It's this thing that follows us around everywhere we go. The parts of us that we never want to deal with, that we never want to look at, we think if we starve it, it'll die. But shadows never starve. You ever notice that? Shadows, the shadow is like following me around. It's over here it is. I couldn't find it. My shadow follows me everywhere I go, and I can't starve this thing. It's going to stay with me. That's our prisons, ladies and gentlemen. They're things that are driving our actions, the broken places of our hearts and lives, and we all have them. No matter how close we are to Jesus, no matter how long we've served him, no matter how long we've loved him, we keep finding prisons. And Jesus is still setting us free. So prison is where this story begins. These guys have been thrown into jail. But this is not where the story ends. The way of evil is to steal, kill, and destroy, to imprison, to make look bad, to beat up, to harm, to lock you up. But the way of God is to set us free. And that's the next verse, verse 19. It says, during the night, in the darkest hour is what this is talking about. It's not just talking about you know, the sun just went down. I mean, we're talking at 2 o'clock in the morning. When you're least expecting it, you're asleep. You're just locked up. You're just trying to be comfortable. The chains, they're kind of hurting you at this point. And you're, you're just like, there is no hope in this moment. The floor is cold. The chains are hard. The cell is locked. The guards are set. There is no hope. There is no way out. At that point, the Lord sends an angel to open the prison doors and to let them out. That is good news, isn't it? It is good news. Just when it seems hopeless, rescue comes to us. In the dark of a night, an angel of the Lord opens the door. This is just how Jesus works. He is a chain breaker. He is a door opener. He is a guard putter to sleeper. You follow that? He's a guard putter to sleeper. The things that are keeping you there, he's like, shh, go to sleep. And the door is open. And he sets you free. It says there's an angel. The question is, is this a person or is it a heavenly being? You know, are we talking about a guy with wings and a sword? Or are we talking about a jailer coming in and quietly releasing them? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But you know what that means for us? That means this morning I could be your angel. That means this morning you could be somebody else's angel. That you could be sitting next to a person that your words of encouragement and love could set free. That your prayers could set free. You can be somebody's angel this morning. And maybe I'm your angel. Maybe you need to hear this morning what the book of Isaiah declared long before this took place. 
Isaiah said this, or God said this through Isaiah to his people. He said this, no weapon that is formed against you, no weapon that is formed, fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Notice this, okay, in this little passage, the weapon is fashioned against you, okay? There, there is a weapon that's coming. There is an accusation coming to you. There is a prison that has been built specifically for you. And it is out there, and it is alive, and it is active. And that thing is, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a sword, it's swinging at you. It's, and it may even hurt. Later, you see that the disciples, even though they've been released, wind up getting beaten. Sometimes following Jesus still hurts. But just because that weapon is formed, and just because that weapon hurts, does not mean that it's going to prosper, that it's going to succeed. In fact, the Scripture says that it will not succeed. It will not succeed. And it says this because not because you're good, not because you're strong, and not because you know how to knock on the door or how to pick a lock, you, not because you know how to go to a class and learn how to be set free, but because it is your heritage. You guys know what that means? Heritage? something you receive from previous generations, your heritage is in the Lord. Now, this is written to Israel back like in the third century BCE. That's before Christ, okay? Like three centuries before Christ or so. Our heritage is not an Israeli heritage. You and I are not Israelites. We are what has been termed in the Bible Gentiles, people that were on the outside of God's work. But we have been invited into the new family of Jesus, Jesus has made a new family. He's adopted you and me as sons and daughters. And now we have a new heritage, a new inheritance. We get something new that we didn't have, we didn't earn, we couldn't deserve, but he had chose us and pulled us into his family. And now we have this heritage. And that heritage is there is no weapon that is formed against you that will succeed. But we sit in prison. There is no weapon that will be formed against you that's going to make its way in you. But we sit in prison. We have a new heritage. Many of us are a little bit like slaves born in slavery. When we had slaves in this country, people would purchase mating pairs so that they could have children and they would invest in that. It's kind of like livestock or cattle. We could, you know, you get two cows together and they make two more cows and you multiplied your investment. And those, those slaves that were born into slavery knew nothing other than slavery. And when they were set free after the Civil War, Many of them didn't know how to live as free men and women. They lived in slavery. They had a slave mentality. They had a slave way of thinking. In, in, the, in the Old Testament in Exodus, Israel was slaves. Whole generations of slaves. And when they were set free by God, they were walking and they said, hey, it'd be better to go back to our slavery. It would be better to live in these chains. It'd be better to go back to them and work with them. At least we were fed well. It didn't hurt as much. In the new family of Jesus, I want you to hear this, ladies and gentlemen. Prison escape is absolutely normal behavior. Escaping from prison as a member of the new family of Jesus is normal behavior. In Jesus, you were set free. And if it feels more comfortable to live in slavery or not, you have been set free. And now it's time to learn to walk in it. Will you look at your neighbor this morning and wake them up and say, you were set free in Jesus? No, really, do it. <laughs> 
So now here's the movement of the text. You guys are all whispering that. I think some of you are more excited than, than others. You were set free in Jesus. And if you heard nothing else than that this morning, I want you to know that this is, this is your heritage. If you are following Jesus, if you've given him your yes, you were set free in Jesus. And there is no weapon, no prison that can hold you. But it's still a process of learning to walk it out. And that's what the rest of this text does. It's about moving from prisoner to preacher. That's what happens in this text. These men move from prisoners to preachers, and it's very practical. This man says the angel comes to them. He says to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Some of you are sitting here this morning saying, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't blame you. I started this series and then figured out this last week I'm going to be like preaching for eight weeks. I'm like, I don't want to do that. This is hard. I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to stand on the street corner with a sandwich sign. I'm not that guy. I, I don't want to be the, you know, the, the hate people preacher. I mean, that's our mentality about a preacher nowadays. But a preacher is just somebody who takes the Word of God and explains it in a way that motivates us to live and walk in His ways. We are being moved from prisoners to preachers. We all preach. We do. We preach with how we live. We preach with what we wear. Some of us preach by wearing Nike shoes. Some of us preach by wearing Patagonia sweaters. We're selling a certain image or selling a certain brand. Some of us preach by where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, where we spend our money, where we think about all the time, how we relate to one another. We're preaching with our lives. And so Jesus is wanting to move you from a prisoner to a preacher who is preaching good news, who is preaching, you can be set free in Jesus. Here's the thing about that, though. You will never become a preacher as long as you're convinced that you're not in a prison. You will never be able to share the good news that we can be set free if you are not convinced that, yes, I too am a prisoner in in need of freedom. Until you are convinced that you need to be set free and that you are being set free, until you can identify yourself as a sinner, which is just a bad word in our culture, right? Sinner. That, it's just identified with religion and religiosity and hate and pointing of fingers and, and all of that. I mean, it's just this terrible word we don't like to use, but this is what the Bible uses to describe broken people, people who have been hurt or who hurt, people who have walked you know, a thousand different roads who have chosen sin and those who have not. We are sinners. We are broken. We we are not able to do what we want to do, and we're always doing what we don't want to do. We find ourselves, like, hating people inside, and we cover it up, but it's really there. We find ourselves judging people. We don't want to judge, but it still comes out. We find ourselves separating ourselves from other people, not being honest with it. We are broken, sinful people, and until we identify ourselves As prisoners, we will never become preachers. We can't be set free from what we won't acknowledge. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. There's three commands here. Go, stand, and speak. Go is a word that denotes a trajectory. Using another big, like, science-y word, right? Trajectory of rockets. I, you know, putting it really simply, I like skipping rocks. The trajectory of a rock. 
<laughs> Isaac and I love to skip rocks. Whenever we go to the water and it's flat enough, we'll go out and we'll skip rocks. One time, uh, when my kids were very, very little, we were out uh, at this place in, on the west side, and, and it's got this really great river, and it's shallow, and I cross to the other side, and there's lots of flat rocks, and I'm just skipping rocks, skipping rocks, skipping rocks. Heidi's grandmother was with us, and grandfather. Uh, so it was my kids' great-grandparents. And they had brought their chairs, and it was hot, and they sat their chairs down in the water, and they said, just letting it sit. And I'm across, and I'm just skipping rocks. This is so wonderful. And then somebody says, hey, it's time to go. And I'm like, oh, okay, time to go. Just one more rock, right? Just one more rock. And I skipped that puppy, and I immediately saw the trajectory of that rock. You guys see where this is going? Just like I saw it. You see the trajectory of my story. That puppy skipped like 37 times. I was so proud of it, right up until the point that it whacked grandma in the leg, right in the shin. It was this huge, she was, oh, it was this huge black bruise. It was terrible. I felt awful. I am a bad person. That's how I, I really felt like a bad person. It's trajectory, right? The direction that the rock is going. This word go in this text, go, is a word that's about trajectory, the direction you are going. You can see where it's leading you to. God can open the prison door and He invites you out, but what is your trajectory? I'm facing the wall. Okay, bow! You know, you just keep walking into a wall, but the door is wide open. It's a trajectory word. It's a new word, a New Testament word. It gets used over and over again. It sets, when it's used, when it's commanded, it sets people in a new direction for life. The woman that was caught in adultery back in the book of Matthew. People are ready to stone her and kill her. And Jesus, they bring Jesus in and they're like, hey, this is a chance we could stone him too because he's going to forgive this woman. And, you know, they said, Jesus, this woman's caught in adultery. What should we do with her? And they're all holding their rocks. They're ready to kill her. And he looks at them and he says, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And he gets down and he mysteriously writes in the dirt. That's very dramatic. I don't know what he wrote. Nobody knows what he wrote. Wasn't the point. He's just waiting for everybody to leave. Because they're all like, oh, I can't judge her, I'm a sinner. And they all leave. And he looks at her and he says, woman, who stands here accusing you? Who is your prisoner? Or who is your prison? You know, who is holding you prison? Nobody. And he says, go and sin no more. A new trajectory. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he's like, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor, have yourself. I've done all these things, Jesus. I do this all the time. He goes, great, you have one more thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Here's a new directory, a direction, a trajectory, but he didn't go. Over and over again, go. Go into all the world speaking. Jesus says, what I tell you in darkness, go speak it in the light. A new trajectory. So the prison doors for us are open. We've been set on a new trajectory, and it's about taking that first step. Notice they didn't have to go. They were just told to go. Did they have to go? They could have stayed in prison. In fact, in Acts, later in Acts, Paul actually stays in prison. The prison doors are open. There's an earthquake. Walls come down, and he stays there because he knows that if he leaves, the prison guards and everybody else are going to be dead. And instead, what happens is in the morning, the guy comes, he's ready to kill himself because all the prisoners are gone. He says, hey, don't do it. We all stayed the doors are wide open, but we all stayed here, and they were able to save the lives of these people. And not only that, their families came to faith, and other families came to faith, and the gospel went forward. They didn't have to go, but in this instance, they were called and they chose to move out. And that's what we are called to, to move out of our prison doors. 
the new trajectory of life, to walk in freedom, to be set free. We're being daily invited to take that first step out of the prison door, to have a new direction, a new calling. The irony of this passage is, is that the men who locked up the apostles, they, like, wanted to, they wanted to take the men and the message and put it in jail. They were actually the ones that were locked up. They were the ones that were locked up inside in their fear and in their jealousy, in their insecurity. And that jealousy turns to rage later, it says. It becomes rage, which is violent jealousy, violent fear. And the question is, it says that they're filled with this jealousy. The apostles are put in prison and they're set free, but the men who imprisoned them are imprisoned and filled with their jealousy and rage. And the question of the book of Acts is always, what are you filled with? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you filled with jealousy? Are you filled with rage? Are you filled with anger? Are you filled with regret? Are you filled with hopelessness? The Holy Spirit wants to come and fill you with new life as He sets you free from prisons this morning. And then it goes to the next word. He says, go, new trajectory. And He says, while you're going, once you get there, stand. Stand and preach all the words of this life. The word stand is about courage and boldness. They are being sent to the very last place in the world that anybody should want to go who has just been put in prison, right? They, they were just told, you're in jail because you're breaking the law. Do not preach in this name. And the, the, the angel says, go and stand in the temple and preach. Go and stand in the most conspicuous place that you can find and say these words. Preach it. It's not just... Words, this is not just something to obey, but there's a boldness and a courage that has to come out in order for this to take place. And this is what Jesus is wanting to fill us with this morning, is a boldness and a courage to walk out of our prisons and to become preachers of his good news. Jesus changes everything for us. So becoming bold starts with knowing, Okay? It's a, we get this, I think we have a, the next slide should have this arrows in a circle. If there's arrows in a circle, that'll be, there we go. It's called the bold loop. This is, I like teaching tools, right? Bold loop. It's about how we become bold. And it starts with knowing. Knowing Jesus in a certain way. Knowing something specific, something special about Jesus leads to faith, which is number two. It builds up our faith. And when our faith is filled, we move into an action. We do something. And that action, because it's spirit-filled, brings results, which teaches us something new about Jesus. And what happens is it's like the laundry machine. It just keeps going and going. And each time it's a little stronger, a little bigger, a little more. Today, you may know very little about Jesus. You may only know what I have said, that Jesus wants to set you free from the prisons of your life, the broken places, the hurt, the loss, the shame. And when you know that, it allows you to step out of the prison door. And that leads to boldness. That's a bold step. I'm no longer stuck here. I can get out. And now I'm walking in this new boldness. And that boldness is going to lead to results. You're going to be set free and you're going to walk in freedom. And it's going to build your faith and it's going to grow. I've lost my space. Where am I at? You guys know who Justin Bieber is? What? You guys know who Justin Bieber is? All right. Does anybody know Justin Bieber? No. Um, I know somebody 
who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows Justin Bieber. My high-up boss, Dave Veach, his son is Justin Bieber's pastor. Woo. I am three steps away from Justin Bieber. In fact, I, I met the guy that has Justin Bieber's phone number once. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Here's the thing. Just because I know who Justin Bieber is, and because I know somebody who knows somebody who knows Justin Bieber, does not mean I know Justin Bieber, right? And just because you come to church and you hear somebody who knows Jesus, doesn't mean you know Jesus. Just because you have a friend who knows Jesus, doesn't mean you know Jesus. Just because you have a friend who has a friend who knows Jesus, does not mean you know Jesus. And that is why it's so important for us to slow down, because we will never get bold if we don't know Jesus. We'll never get out of our prisons if we don't know Jesus. Jesus is our only hope, and He is our only answer. And I'm going to keep pointing back to Him. We don't walk alone. We don't walk from our prisons all on our own. We can go get all kinds of counseling and all kinds of help, but in the end, it is the power of Jesus that is setting us free, truly and really. When these guys knew Jesus, they got clarity. They got clarity. In fact, it pre they preach after this passage. They preach right to the Sanhedrin. They get really, really clear. They say that Jesus is our Savior and our leader. He is the Savior of our souls. He, like, because He died on the cross and rose again, there is no death that can stop us from the, can separate us from the power of the love of God. Nothing. He is our Savior. And yes, not only is He our Savior, but He's also our leader. He tells us to go, and we go. He sets us free from a prison, and we walk out. He says to go stand and to preach, we do it, because He is also our leader. He's the one that is guiding us and directing us. And all through the Scripture, is, it's, it's speaking to this. The Holy Spirit is coming, and, and it's the voice of Jesus speaking. This is the way in which you should go. Walk in it. My, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is the way you should go. Follow it. He is our leader. I'm not my leader, and you are not my leader, but Jesus is my leader. I am not in control. You are not in control. Jesus is in control. I have no way of extending my life. You have no way of taking it because Jesus holds it. Because death is not the final answer. It is not the end. It gives us confidence and boldness to stand when we get clear on what we believe. And it comes from knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus, not just reading His Word, not just going to church, not just singing songs, but knowing Jesus for yourself. Jesus is inviting each one of you into a relationship with Him that you know Him. And that is what moves you from prison to preacher. Lastly, it says speak, and it's a command. And he's not just saying it anywhere. He's taking this message to where it's least wanted. And they walk in confidence. See, when I don't feel confident in my role, when I don't feel confident in the expectations of a room, okay, I am a wallfly. If I get invited to a party and I was like, the only person I know at that party is the person who's hosting the party, and that person is one of those, you know, you know what I'm talking about there, there's campers and there's floaters at a party, and they're one of those floaters and they're moving from person to person like a bumblebee and they're like just lighting, you know, going around. I get into those situations and I just like go right to the wall and I sit down and I sit down, well, I don't wall sit, but I sit in a chair and I just stay there because it's uncomfortable for me because I'm not confident. 
When I am confident, however, when I know my role, when I know my place in a party or a a situation, guess what? Confidence comes out of me, and I'm kind of a different person. I'm the person who can stand up here and preach because I know my role here, because I know what I'm supposed to do and what's expected of me. That confidence that we get as we know Jesus allows us to be different in every circumstance. It allows us to say, yeah, I, I am a prisoner that has been set free. Yeah, I have prisons that I'm not aware of, but me and Jesus, we're going backwards in my life, and we're looking, and he's leading me into places, and he's just opening doors. That's all he's doing. He's like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, all those doors open. Why don't you come on out? I am, I'm a sinner that's being set free, and I have a confidence to speak that truth. We're often afraid to speak because we're afraid of what people will say against us, what they'll think of us. They won't like our religion. They won't like our our beliefs. They don't like the word sinner. And we're afraid that that's just going to create a new prison. Really what it is is that unconfidence, that lack of confidence, is a prison in and of itself. Jesus is inviting you out. Back to the beginning. We have these prisons, and a lot of us are thinking, you know what, everything is against me. Everything is, is, it's, it's just, I'm just meant to be shut down. These prisons are too much. I could maybe come out of one cell, but not all of them. I could come out of everything that, that I can see, but I can't come out of the things I can't see. And that's all just against me. It's keeping me from God. It's keeping me from sharing my faith, keeping me from caring to share my faith. And it reminds me of Jacob and Joseph in the book of Genesis, my favorite book. We're going to do a series on these guys later. Jacob was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his grandson of Abraham. And this guy, his whole life, he was like, everything is against me. Nothing is going right. I'm supposed to have a birthright, but I don't. So I steal it. I'm supposed to have this, but I don't. So I lie. And he's just living out of this everything is against me mode. And he goes all the way to the end of his life. And his, his, his favorite son, which you shouldn't have favorites, gets taken and he's thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. He has no idea. He thinks the lions ate him. And he's like, everything's against me. Everybody's taking everything. And it's just all bad. But that kid that got thrown into that pit and sold into slavery, he had a completely different perspective on life. You know what his perspective was? Everything is for me. This sucks. But it's going to be for my good comes all the way to the end of his life, and he's facing his brothers who sold him into slavery, and he says, everything that you intended for evil, God intended for good. Everything was for me. Your prisons, it's not against you. In Jesus, they're for you. They're set you free to give you a story. They're set you free so that you can look back and say, it was only by the power of God that I am this strong, that I am healed, that I am made whole. It is, it is to give you a testimony in the world that I've been set free, and, and, and you're made stronger. I had cancer when I was 22 years old. I would never wish that on anybody, but I wouldn't change it for the world because God did things in me that could never be done otherwise. Every hardship, every depression, every hurt, every pain, wouldn't want them for anybody else. Wouldn't go back and do it again, but wouldn't trade it for the world because it is for me. And we have a message to take where there's the least wanted but most needed, we can be free if we say yes. So the question this morning for a moment of silence is what prison is Jesus inviting you to walk out of this morning? What prison has Jesus opened the door to that it is time to go and step out of? I'm going to give you a moment of silence.
This morning, I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to step out of your prison. And sometimes we've got to move with our feet to do that, or move with our bodies. So if you this morning found a place in your heart or your life that you either have already walked out of a prison, or Jesus is inviting you to step out of that prison, what I want to do is invite us to stand up and to declare, yes, Lord, I'm walking out of my prison, or I have walked out of my prison, and I want to walk in the fullness of your freedom. Would you just stand with me if that's you? I'm standing. It's okay. All right. Who the Son has set free, the Son of God has set free, is free indeed. You have been set free by the power of Jesus to go and to walk in that power. But I want you to hear this. Leaving prison sometimes hurts. The apostles, at the end of this whole story, after they, is it right for us to serve you or to listen to God? And they beat them. They beat them senseless and send them out. It could still hurt. The weapon may be formed against you, but it can't shut you up. The weapon may be formed against you, but it cannot lock you up. It's not, Satan's not going to make this easy on you. He's not going to just give you a free pass. And it might hurt as you walk in this freedom for a time. But know this, that you have been counted worthy. This is what the apostle said. We've been counted worthy to suffer with Jesus to be set free and experience this pain, and now it is placed on me like a badge of honor because Christ is living in me. You have been set free. Well, can we respond to that with just worship? Sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. The blessings of our freedom, the blessings of our pain, the blessings of our hurt, the blessings of, I mean, all of these things. Can we just sing, yes, Lord, praise God from whom all blessings flow? Let's do that together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I just want to bless you to go walk in freedom this week, to say yes to leaving the prisons, to say yes to stepping out of the places that have been holding you captive, to say yes to God inviting you into a new boldness and a new confidence to stand firm in Him because of His work on the cross. Not because of what you've done, not because you earn it or deserve it, because it's free for you. In Jesus' name, go in the grace of God knowing that I love you, Heidi loves you, and Jesus loves you more. There are root beer floats in the back. Let's go have root beer floats.